Welcome to This Week in Aviation Safety with uh, Todd Curtis. Of course, I'm the uh, creator and host of airsafe.com and the associated podcast, The Conversation at airsafe.com. Today is the 20th of November, 2015. And the biggest stories of this week are very much related to the biggest stories of the past several weeks. That is the ongoing ramifications of the uh, violence that's going on in France and elsewhere. Uh, going back to October 31st of last month, when the Metrojet A321 uh, from Russia, uh, taking off from Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, crashed in the Sinai Desert. In this past week, the Russian authorities uh, admitted that the investigation pointed out that it was very likely a bomb that took out the aircraft. Shortly thereafter that, ISIS, the group purporting to claim responsibility for this, published a photograph of what they said was a bomb that brought down the plane. Now, several things about this. Uh, first, for more information about the Metrojet event, I highly recommend you visit metrojet.airsafe.com. Uh, second, if this is indeed a bomb that was put on board by ISIS, this would obviously uh, mean that there are some issues out there for air travelers everywhere. Uh, clearly, the uh, ISIS organization has mounted attacks in several countries and has threatened several other countries. And subsequent to the Russian announcement, there were even some uh, bomb threats called in, primarily aimed at Air France aircraft. Fortunately, those bomb threats uh, came to nothing. But the fact remains that there are issues out there. The investigation is ongoing. And although the Egyptian authorities, by international agreement, are heading the investigation, they haven't exactly been forthcoming with uh, releasing information. Uh, Russia, which is one of the parties of the investigation by international agreement, did have a press conference rather a government announcement where they gave their findings. So far, at least I've heard nothing from the Egyptian authorities about their side of the investigation. In related news, the U.S. government apparently has restricted Egypt Air from putting cargo on their passenger aircraft that's other than passenger baggage. So in other words, the flights that come to the U.S. Uh, every week from Egypt Air, currently about five regularly scheduled flights all to New York to JFK, uh, the only cargo that can be in there is passenger baggage. For whatever reason, the U.S. government feels that there is a threat from cargo that's not related to passenger baggage. This also points to uh, recent decisions by the Russian government to ban all flights from Egypt to Russia by Egyptian airlines and also to suspend flights between Russia and Egypt. So the bottom line a, the investigation into the crash of the Metrojet A321 is still ongoing. B, it would appear that this was a deliberate action. C, it would also appear that the Egyptian government has some issues when it comes to security of airliners and airports. Now, to that end, I've also had a couple of interviews in this past week, uh, one yesterday with the BBC, where I discussed specifically the changes with respect to Egypt there. And earlier in the week, I had other discussions on Metrojet-related events. And again, I highly recommend you go to metrojet.airsafe.com. There'll be links to all of those um, uh, discussions. And also a link to the photograph uh, given out by ISIS that showed the bomb. And for those of you who haven't seen it, it's roughly the size of a drinks can, a soda can, as it were. And uh, it showed the soda can. It showed what appeared to be a detonator and what appeared to be a switch to trigger the device. Now, what was interesting about that photograph is that the triggering device appeared to be an electric switch. I'm no bomb expert. I'm not even close to one. 
but I didn't see anything that seemed to be a timer or any other radio control device where it could be detonated remotely. Also, and this is unconfirmed, there are a variety of media reports coming out of Russia uh, saying that the explosion appears to have taken place not in the cargo hold, but in the passenger cabin near one of the windows and in the rear of the aircraft. And as many of you may recall, the wreckage strewn over the Sinai, the tail of the aircraft was at some distance from the main part of the wreckage. So that would be consistent with a bombing that would lead to, among other things, a rapid decompression and possibly a structural failure in the aircraft. Now, there are a variety of bombs, a, a variety of bombing techniques over the years. And if you go to uh, metrojet.airsafe.com, uh, you'll have links to a variety of pages, including past bombing events. And if you navigate on airsafe.com to the bombing page with U.S. and Canadian events, you'll see there, there have been a variety of successful and not so successful bombing attempts just in those two countries over the last 50 years, including, some of you may not know, the uh, infamous Unabomber, who was called that by the FBI because his initial targets were both airlines and universities. There was actually an American Airlines 727 uh, some decades ago where the Unabomber had put a bomb on board. It uh, became an, it failed. It didn't explode, but it did catch fire. It became an incendiary device rather than an explosive device. And there was smoke inhalation and some injuries and such. But the authorities said that had the bomb worked as planned, would have been powerful enough to bring down the aircraft. So from ISIS to the Unabomber to even before, the ability to bomb an aircraft is still there in spite of all the security issues that have changed since 9-11. Despite all the awareness that passengers and crew have of these risks, they do exist and they're very real. And another point I like to make about bombings is that the ability to have a successful bombing actually takes a whole lot less effort than a successful hijacking or a successful missile strike of an aircraft. Uh, for example, if you have someone firing a missile, even a portable shoulder launch missile, it's a fairly sophisticated technology, and it's not something you can build with uh, plans off the internet. And in the case of MH17, which was shot down in 2014, the level of technology needed to launch a missile from the ground into the stratosphere, which is where MH17 was, was such that it's well beyond what's in the shoulder-fired missile. It's usually the kind of technology that's in the control of uh, countries, uh, armies, major international, uh, uh, let's just say, uh, armed groups. But when it comes to bombing, not only can it be something that can be done by an individual, as was the case with the Unabomber, it's also something that the perpetrator doesn't have to be anywhere near the aircraft. It can be set on a timer, it can be uh, set with other kinds of triggering mechanisms where one does not have to be there. Contrast that with a hijacking where there have been many successful hijackings in the past. Most of the successful hijackings had a key element, more than one hijacker. So again, if you're going to do a successful hijacking, it's very, very likely that this will be a conspiracy of two or more people. If you're going to take down an aircraft with a missile, it's very likely going to take a combination of at least one person and a fairly sophisticated technology that is out of the realm of that one person to create. Whereas a bombing, it's quite possible that a single person can put together with stolen and created materials in their own laboratory, as it, as it were, 
create an explosive device that can effectively bring down an aircraft. So once again, that's this week in airline safety with uh, Todd Curtis. I highly recommend you visit airsafe.com and specifically the page metrojet.airsafe.com. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. And by the way, uh, some of you may know that there's a podcast with the website, The Conversation at airsafe.com. I didn't realize it until I looked at the uh, iTunes record. The The podcast has been up and running for over a decade. The first one, which, by the way, was pretty awful, was back in 2005. And, of course, the most recent one was uh, this past week, where I had the uh, BBC radio interview talking about the Egyptian airliner restrictions. So, again, if you go to podcast.airsafe.com, you can take a look at the podcast. And for the rest of the website, please visit airsafe.com.